Hi, welcome to the Bookish Things Podcast. I'm Scott. I am Eric. And this is episode three. We're doing it on Toni Morrison's Beloved. So Eric, would you start with the plot summary? Yes, I think that it's a little confusing, but <laughs> I think we'll get through it because it kind of jumps around. But this story, Beloved, starts in, I think around Cincinnati, late 1800s is where this is. And the first thing that we get is kind of a house as a character, and it's it, we learn that this house belongs to Seth. I think that one of the more interesting things is that we're going to be... We, I think we differ a lot on pronunciation of characters' names. Oh, I'll say Seth. Because uh, I, I think that it's... I don't know if it's Sethy, but I'd, I'd just say Seth. Um, living in a house where it seems like some weird stuff is going on. She lives with her daughter, Denver, and... Uh, the first thing that comes up is a male character, Paul D, comes to the house to visit Seth, and once he kind of senses all the weirdness and ghostliness going on, he basically throws the ghost out by shouting at it, and then says, you know, maybe I can stay here, we'll have like a bit of a life. They end up going to a carnival with Denver, they come back, and they find a girl sitting by the side of a road, basically. Yeah, I think she's on a tree stump outside yeah. the house. Yeah. One, two, four. And she seems confused and wet and out of it, and she doesn't really know much, or she's kind of got a weird backstory, she doesn't really know where she came from, and so they call her Beloved, and even early on here there are indications that this could be one of Seth's daughters, again, we'll jump to the past a little bit later, or right now, because at this point we start to get flashbacks, and these start with uh, Seth being about 13, and she comes to a plantation called Sweet Home, and she's one of a few different slaves, I think there's like five different guys there already, and pretty much right off the jump they all kind of like have eyes for her and want her, but she says that they keep it together, and <laughs> they do their best to get by with just dreaming about her and having sex with cats. <laughs> and so finally she chooses someone, uh, Haley. I guess in this case the E is going to be an E. Is it not e. Hallie? Or Hal. I, I, I just read it Haley the whole time. Okay. Or Hal, I guess. But she chooses him. They start spending time together. Eventually they want to be married. And it's important to say that things actually at Sweet Home aren't so bad in the beginning. It's kind of a husband and wife who run this place, but soon the husband dies and he's replaced by, I think it's the brother-in-law of the wife who they just call school teacher because that's what he does. And he makes things bad. So bad that they attempt to run away a few times and are mostly stopped, punished really severely, and kind of all the slaves are kind of broken down as people. Um, during this time... Uh, Seth has two boys who eventually and <laughs> run away, never to be heard from again, and two girls. They say she has one baby daughter and then she's pregnant with one more, and she finally escapes. And on the way to escaping, she's pregnant and exhausted and kind of broken down. She's helped along the way by a young white girl Amy. named Amy Denver, and that's what she named her daughter after, who helps her deliver it. And eventually she goes to baby Shugs. That's how I pronounce that. Okay. Um, uh, to In Cincinnati. That's where she escapes to. Baby Shugs was her husband's mother. Always really nice. Her husband worked to buy her freedom. So that's all good. Um, things are going pretty well when they first get there until the school teacher who they ran away from shows back up with horses and police to basically stop her and bring her back. And the only way that she can think to save them is she hides in a woodshed, and when they find her, she's killed the first daughter that she has. She basically just, I think, cut its throat with a hacksaw. Uh, with a handsaw, yeah. Yeah, and so she leaves that, and then all she has is her second daughter, who's Denver. And like I said, the it's kind of uh, pretty obviously hinted that this girl they found, as the book goes on, is the daughter that she killed, and who's no longer there. And just from little things like memory she has and songs she sings. So it's pretty clear. Um, cutting kind of back to the future and where the novel starts after Beloved is there, uh, Baby Shooks had died a while ago after kind of just fading away and getting broken down. Um, Paul D. lives there for a while and really 
doesn't like Beloved. She doesn't like him. Beloved is really only interested in Seth. Denver keeps, I think, just out of loneliness, trying to like interact with her and be her friend. But it's clear that the only person that she cares about is Seth. So, eventually, Paul stops sleeping in Seth's room. The kind of relationship that they had breaks down. Um, Beloved, kind of like in a spiritual way, keeps messing with him. Magic things and seducing him. Um, until finally he just moves out. And he says, I'm done. And that's when a different slave comes, and we hear mostly from him, Stamp Paid, who had a different name, but after some sad things, changed his name. And he kind of rallies the community to help Seth after Paul leaves. Finally, when the community does get rallied and shows up to help Seth and kind of get Beloved away from her, because throughout all this, Beloved is kind of draining all the life out of Seth, and Seth's just kind of breaking down. Um, when they show up, she does, Beloved finally leaves. They kind of get Seth, you know, away and okay. And Beloved is never heard from again. And by this point, Seth is, like, so weak and it's taken out of her that pretty much the novel ends with her dying. Yeah, I mean, she's, what, she's on her deathbed. She's in the same bed that baby Shugs died in, so. It's the same, yeah, same bed that baby Shugs died in, same room, um, and Paul D comes back to he see her. He comes back, yeah. And he, you know, he says, you and me, we got more yesterdays than anybody, yeah. we need some kind of tomorrow, and that's, that's the end of it, right? Yeah, pretty much. Um, I guess this is a decent, like, point to say, like, that this... Book. I feel like we've read some sad ones in the past. Like, A Farewell to Arms is pretty sad. This is no different. I feel like this book, probably more than the other two we read, like, really kind of affected me and disgusted me. And yeah. it's, I feel like it's because the pretty much the entire central theme is, like, dehumanization. And so, like, it's people being treated as if they aren't people. And I feel like if you're just kind of any person, you... I don't know whether it's empathy or sympathy or the difference, but you see something happen or you hear about something happening and you kind of put yourself in that place. And I can't imagine how like terrible the things that happen in this are. So maybe we'll have to get a better book for next time, a little, a little less sad book, but this is definitely not a super happy one. No, this is a sad, sad book of sadness. Pretty much. Titled after a dead baby. Yeah. Um, so I think from there we can kind of jump into characters. Sure. Uh, do you want to start with Beloved as a character? Yeah, go for it. So as a character, Beloved, I mean, she's... The, I guess there's different versions of her, right? There's the ghost who's haunting 124 at the beginning of the story. Right. And, and that ghost gets chased away. And then there's this kind of like revenant version of Beloved, which is a young girl who would have been the same age that Beloved would have been right. uh, if she had not been killed and, and, and allowed to grow up. Um, and um, she, she really represents, I don't know, like she represents the 60 million and more, I think, that... Um, that the book was dedicated to. I mean, she she brings out the worst memories mm -hmm. of slavery for Seth and for Paul D. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and it, I mean, we find out that I mean, for me, I never read it. I never read it as a literal ghost story with her as, an, as a literal ghost. Right. But I, I read it more as kind of a psychological ghost story where these characters are psychologically haunted by their pasts and the really traumatic things that they've they've experienced. Um, and for her, um, it, we, we, we find out that she was probably a girl who was just from birth kept as, as a sex slave, right? By, mm -hmm. by uh, a, a white guy. And somehow managed to kill him and escape. Yeah, that's kind of alluded to. I mean, I feel like I had some theories when you were talking about, like, um, Beloved Represents. And somewhere, like, most of the way through this book, I kind of started to get this idea that, like, the three main characters, for most of it, I mean, Paul D is kind of, like, off on the side. Things only kind of really affect him. That's all we really hear about him. But the three main characters here are Beloved, Seth, and Denver. 
and especially later toward the book when like Denver actually has to like take like get a character and take some action to stop what's happening. And I basically kind of broke it down to these three characters. I feel like are pretty clear representations that Seth is the present. She just, especially once Beloved is back in her life, all she wants to focus on is the now. I think there's even a line of prose where it's like she's she's wants the eternal now at one two four. That she's just like now that her daughters are here, she just wants this. I feel that Beloved is completely representative of the past, and then in this way that Denver is then the future. And Beloved is pretty much, like you said, like she brings up memories from everyone which are rooted in the past. She, even her existence was something from the past that shouldn't have been brought forward. There's those like three, I think it's like 20 through 23 or something. There's just three weird chapters that are just like pure soliloquy, where it's like Seth just soliloquy, Beloved, then Denver. You're right, yeah. And the Beloved one is really messy and like it's... There's no punctuation. Really complicated, yeah. And there's parts of... It kind of, like, talks about where she came from, that she was in, like, a hole, and it was dark, and there were, like, men without skin. Which is what she calls white people. Yeah, and so that... that I took that whole kind of thing to allude to basically a slave ship. And so... It feels like she just entirely represents the past. When I first read through this, I remember it was in college, and, like, had to read it in a week and write a paper. And I always thought that beloved here was representative of Seth's mother in the same soliloquy Seth talks a little bit about her mother how she never really knew her that she just knew that she got lynched and she didn't really know why and especially after once Paul D leaves and the kind of like transition happens where suddenly now Seth is getting really weak and frail and beloved's getting like really fat they don't have food so Seth's just giving her food to her Denver even says like there comes a point where you can't she couldn't tell them apart almost like they looked so similar and even at the very end when they're sitting on the porch like beloved is pregnant in like a motherly way and so the first time i thought that like beloved represented like a mother and probably i didn't think about the time but i thought that like when that whole thing about like her soliloquy in the slave ship i was like oh that's seth's mom but i didn't really realize like this is probably her mom was born like 1830 1840 not a lot of slave ships happening then um but yeah, I think that Beloved of on the whole just represents the past. She brings it out of people, and the, like, the whole kind of shift of Seth getting weak, Beloved getting like fat, and like more dominant. Even like Seth starts to act more like a child, and Beloved kind of gets more motherly. When Beloved first showed up, she was much more the child. Seth was like the mother, and Beloved kind of like ran after her to get her attention. So I think that's kind of like a big representation of like the present losing itself to the past and like what's being controlled i don't want to get like too <laughs> literary nerd but then i could you could say like the denver when she finally is like i need to stop this is the future like taking action and saying like okay this is just going to be just like it's going to just the past is going to destroy this if i don't do something so then f she goes out into the community to like rally people around and help her that's kind of at least the big takeaway i took yeah, um, there's there's definitely a huge theme with this book for um, like three generations of women all yeah. living through slavery and having different experiences with it, mm. but where it, it's like the thing that shapes their their lives, their identity, and another big part of that is they're all women, mm. and a big part of that is how do you be a mother, right? Or how do you be a woman um, when when the rest of the world doesn't consider you a human being. Right. I think that was, like, the saddest thing. Like I said, like, the dehumanization. Like, I, I remember there was, like, a... There's a specific part where it's described... I think they describe it from, like, the plantation owner's perspective when he rolls up to the house with the police and stuff. How he, like... There's, like, a crazy person on, like, the hay bale, and then, like, they open the door to find, like, this horrible scene of, like, a mother holding, like, a dead kid that she just killed. And... That your first reaction is like disgust because it's being told from like this person who's just finding it but that the more i thought about it like it really reinforces like how messed up the whole situation is that like seth killing her baby is like the nicest thing she could have done for it because she knows like how it's gonna live if she lets it live like she would rather have if her... she didn't kill it like school teacher comes takes them all back probably beats them like yeah she would rather have her children dead than be at sweet home exactly
and yeah, there's that really like poignant moment where she's telling this to Paul D, and it's the thing that makes him leave that she killed him. She killed it, and I remember Paul D said like, "You you had other options. Like you could have made it work. You have two feet, not four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I always remember that with like. That's one of the it, last things she says to him again when he shows up, and she's like on her deathbed. She goes, you know, she goes, count my feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He says, no, rub your feet. Yeah, and that was always like a. I don't know. That's definitely, like, a low point. And that's, yeah, that's too, a low point for her, too, is when she remembers, she remembers school teacher and the nephews talking about oh, he her. he teaches her, yeah. Yeah, uh, talking about her as if she's an animal and making lists okay. of her animal yeah. characteristics. And saying, like, you know, this is why she's an animal. And, and that's, that's when she decides to run. Right. And I think that's, like, a decent, like, it goes into then talking about who Stamp Paid was, who was a former slave that used to be named Joshua and then completely changed his name basically after his plantation owner like took his wife. His plantation owner's son, right? Yeah, for, it's for his son to basically like sleep with. And she said, and he says like he wouldn't touch her after she came back and then eventually decided like... He even said he wanted to, he wanted to kill her. He wanted to kill her at first, yeah. And so the way he decides to handle this is just to basically become numb and just changes his name and completely, like, he takes the action himself and just dehumanizes himself. He just picks two words that don't mean anything and then um, makes that, like, his new moniker. And so I always thought that he was, like, one of the more interesting characters here. Yeah, he's a minor character, and I think... He seems simple at first, but then once you find out his backstory, and all of them have this from, you know, even Ella, um, you know, uh, th- there's no there's no black person living in this town that doesn't have these kinds of stories that are just heartbreaking about what they've, they've been through. Um, but yeah, he, he seems simple, and then you, you find out, yeah, that, that uh, he wasn't always this way. Yeah, and I think that makes a lot of sense, like what you were saying, that there aren't really non-black major characters here. They're like tertiary. They're, you hear like Mrs. Garner and like school teacher and stuff like that. But pretty much everybody in the story is black and everybody suffers. And it keeps going back to the idea of like dehumanization, that like there's no character who gets out of this okay. And I think that's kind of what Morrison was like implying, that like there isn't anybody here who wasn't affected by slavery. I think Stan Paid might be like one of the most, he might understand it the most, because then he starts to talk about um, it, the, the white people viewed us as animals, but then it made them even more hateful. Yeah, like, like he, he says, view. they do the animalistic, cruel right. things. And the whole idea being that like, you have to, you, you know, force this person to become like property and not human, but that does something to you as an oppressor, and because then you're afraid of this animal that you have now, it makes you more cruel and more broken. So, like, it affected everyone. There's no good ending for anybody here. Yeah. And, yeah, that... Because that... then it turns people into, into monsters, like school teacher. Right, and he had, like, a really good metaphor about it being, like, a jungle. Yeah. And as it didn't... Great metaphors in this Yeah. Book. That's, that's definitely true, and that it just grows, and it just makes everyone worse for... There's, there's a part where he talks about finding the ribbon um, in, in, like, a river, um, and it's still got hair attached to it and scalp, right? And this right. is a ribbon from a lynching victim, and he talks about how in one year alone in Kentucky, there's, like, nearly 100 lynchings in, in the year, I think, 1876. Mm-hmm. That's it's almost 500 lynchings in the United States in one year yeah. alone. And this continues for a long time. Right. Um, who was the kid that they just vandalized? Um, God, his, his memorial... I was telling you a couple weeks ago, he's like one of the most, uh, it was 1955, it was like one of the most, he's like 15 years old from the north, and he was lynched. Don't remember. Oh god, that's really bad, he's like one of the most famous lynching victims in the US. Uh, it's on the tip of my tongue. Yeah. Elliot? No. No, what am I thinking of? I don't know. But, I mean, 
Right. So he he gets lynched in 1955, right? 15-year-old right. kid for for whistling supposedly at a white woman. Um, yes. And this is nearly 100 years later, right? And that's a huge thing that sparks the civil rights movement. Emmett Till. Emmett Till. That's what I think. And then now, even this year, a couple weeks ago, someone vandalized his memorial. Yeah, I mean, and there's... I feel like we could probably spend a few hours talking about, like, how this all kind of relates and reflects back to today. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely something that hits you. And it's something that I kept thinking as the book went on. My notes started as just about the book and the characters and the plot itself. And then it almost turned into like a journal of like my thoughts as I read. And I kept thinking that I thought back to when I learned about slavery in school, because I thought like, this is a really like vivid account of it. And that when I learned about slavery in school, I probably took American history like through maybe a year of middle school, a year of high school. And then even through upper education, like I took a few world history classes, and the only time that I really like understood the ideas behind slavery and stuff was once I took like an ethnic studies class that like focused on its repercussions. And it's crazy to me to think back to like middle school, high school, you understand the idea slavery is bad, but that's it. That's all it's touched on, and then you move on. And the rest of it is more about people and dates and things like that. But it's so easy to like i guess for society as a whole to just gloss over this huge huge chunk of american history that it wasn't just small it wasn't just like a pat like a, a footnote on the page oh you know some slavery it kind of sucked the people weren't treated great when in reality it shouldn't be a few sentences it should be like novels like this of like, it should be almost 400 page novels with detailed describing with vivid detail exactly accounts. and I think that that is just due to the society. And based on that, I started thinking of, like, other representations. I kind of thought of, like, Seth as, like, a representation of America itself, like, so haunted by its past that it just wants to, like, kind of forget about it and be like, okay, cool, well, now that, now that everything's fine, we're in the present. Let's just keep it in the present. And I kept being hit by that when Seth finally when they were like ice skating with beloved and stuff like that and she kept like once she really understood she heard that song she sang she's like beloved is my daughter that i killed she spends the next couple of chapters just in her thoughts and then in what she says like trying to justify it to beloved like yeah. saying like well, no, this is what i had to do she'll say you know i, I shouldn't i won't have to explain it to you like, yeah you'll you'll understand you'll know i won't have to talk about the past anymore i won't have to think about it anymore Right, and she's I, like, "Cause you, you're my daughter, you know." And I, I feel like all that and justification, like, helped me, like, really see Seth as like a representation of America. Like, it's so stuck in what happened, and like we just said, like everything, even that it extends to today. That even today, like, there are really rough instances of like race politics and like just everyday societal problems interactions that hit the news for like a week and then disappear of it's it's just amazing that like all that justification is it still exists and i toward the end started to think like maybe this is somewhat hopeful that maybe this whole idea that i have like denver represents the future her the way she seeks help and heals this is through community and through like uniting people but then by the time they get back, Amer like, Seth, who would be, like, present and beloved, are both, like, they're too far gone. And so even if it's something hopeful, like, oh, yeah, you know, you could kind of see Denver as a hero. She went out and she tried to save Seth. But the novel ends with Seth dying in bed anyway, just as unhappy. Yeah, I mean, it's hard you don't really know what Seth's last moments are like. We don't see them. We can imagine that there's something as heartbreaking as Baby Shugs's last um, last days. Even if they're not, though, we can have hope for Denver, right? Like, Denver was this kid who is extremely isolated. Mm. She doesn't have friends. She's She doesn't even know, like, how to travel around her small hometown. She's right. terrified of the outside. She's and, almost like, I'm trying to think of like a proper word for it. Like she 
is completely unequipped to handle the world. Like, when she's overwhelmed, she goes and, like, hides in a little grove of trees. Like, she's not, like... And she's 18. Like, she, yeah. she's, she's not, like, adult. an eight-year-old. She can't handle the world. Um, but by the end of the book, I mean, she's got multiple jobs. She knows who everyone is. Right. Um, she, yeah, I mean, like, so... But still, what kind of future can she have realistically in America in the late 1800s? Right. I mean, I guess you could say that there is hope there in that even though, like, Seth eventually dies from this, you could say, like, the present is, you know, put away, and it kind of dies. You still have the future who is still thriving. Like, she has multiple jobs. She has, like, all these people, and she knows friends, like, a community. Maybe that's, like, what Morrison is suggesting, like, is the way forward, that even though that present dies, like, the, it's... You accept it, you move on. Like, by the end of the novel... It's just said, like, the entire town slowly forgot Beloved. Even the people who knew her most couldn't remember, like, the things she said or what she looked like or even if she was ever there. And I think that's, like, the perfect allegory there. Like, uh, it perfectly represents, like, this whole idea of, like, America is so stuck in, like, this idea of, like, slave times and it extends to the future. And these people, like, people today just want to kind of forget about it and put it away. And maybe the only way to, like, move forward is that idea of, like, you just go with the future. You go with community and with people helping each other. Like, that's the only way forward. But then again, like you said, maybe it's not hopeful because then you realize it's still the late 1800s and that, like, black people as a whole in America are going to continue to have a rough time for, like, the next 50 years, especially. And even further, like, it's, it's still a fact that today, like, it's... I would say, like, some kind of disadvantage, like, in oh, society. So, it's depressing to see that, you know, I'm sure that there were people in the late 1800s, or even then again, the early 1900s, mid-1900s, 2000s, that said, like, you know, we finally got this figured out. Like, once you get past, like, the civil rights movement of the 60s, there were probably people that were like, you know, we, fi we figured it out. And I'm sure there were people with their own agendas who were like, you know what, we, were, we ended racism. <laughs> But it's just so sad to see, like, a new decade comes and there's still all of these issues. Yeah, I think there's still as institutional, ins not just individual, but institutional racism in America. And I think that, I don't know that, that would, that'll ever be fixed. I think that because slavery was such a big part of the country's, like, start and upbringing, like, the country would not exist without slavery. Like, it, the entire economy of early America was built on slave labor. And the fact that you can still draw, like, ties to that 250 years later is telling. You think that America's a pretty new country, so these issues aren't that far back. And they still have such a huge impact that I don't, I don't know if, if it can... I don't know if I'm in America, America can exist that doesn't have racial issues. Or if we need our own future to come like, put the past to bed and then emerge as, like, a new thing. It's weird how you can kind of, like, see this as both hopeful but also not so hopeful. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really depressing book. Um, the, how graphically a lot of the the stuff that happens is described is, is, is very disheartening. Um, and so it's... It's hard to forget that you've got like almost 400 pages of it. But I, I do think that, yeah, there, that, there is room for that optimism mm. uh, in your interpretation of the ending. I did. I did. I was hopeful for Denver at the end because she does. She goes through noticeable transformation. And even if she wasn't well enough to equipped with what happened to baby Shugs, she can now, she's now equipped to, she can take care of herself now when, right. Seth, when Seth dies. You know, she can, she can handle it. Right. And I guess that's the question that isn't answered by the end, is what happens to her? Like, you... And obviously it could be seen, like, a million different directions. She could take this and, like, learn from it and move on and, like, make the best for herself. Being able to take care of herself, maybe going on to have a family of her own. Or you could see her as, like, a character so haunted by her past that even if she can survive on her own, she can never really process what happens. I know that, like, when I hit the ending... I definitely assumed the latter. I definitely, maybe it's pessimism, but I thought of Denver as somebody who, moving on, she'll have lost her mother, lost the only other sister she like knew in the world, never knew her father, anything like that. 
it's it seems like to me she would just go on to follow the pattern of every other black character in this that she would be so held into her past that it might not she might not ever recover i mean i would say maybe she <laughs> that's probably gonna now we're, they're gonna hear that on the mic oh is it, <laughs> I, I, is it recording yeah it's recording okay um, cut, cut this off. <laughs> I'm gonna have to cut this. Yeah, um, um, yeah. I don't. Do, do any characters really have a happy ending? I stamp paid. I don't think he really has no. a, a happy ending. Denver, she doesn't get the happy ending. She has the opportunity, right? Maybe for a happy ending after the after the events in the book. After the book ends. And like I said, just following the character. There's a hopefulness for the future, for the next generation of Black America. I think at, at the end of, the, of this book, but it's it's definitely left unanswered. And I I mean I guess so. And just knowing like following the trend in characters from the story and knowing what we know about how the next 150 years of America's history is going to go, you can say that like things aren't going to get better. Yeah. Cuz nothing gets better for any of these characters. Even if yes, yeah, Aunt Paid seems positive. He actually seems like he's processed or like found some way to cope with what's happened. But the way he found to cope was to make himself emotionless and just to kind of whole like not care about anything well no he seems to genuinely care about every person that he's managed to help escape from slavery like mm. and he takes pride in that he takes pride oh, in his, he's talking about his boat his and... status in the community um and and how he's managed to help everyone there um so I wouldn't say that he's he's completely numb the way that Paul D says he is right when he talks about the, the tobacco tin, tin yeah. the tobacco tin in his chest um but, I mean, he has feelings for baby Shugs, right? And and he's heartbroken to see her die the way he does. Right. I guess more just that, like, kind of following a trend in this story, he gave up someone he loved so that he could be free. Like, kind of in the same way that Seth did with Beloved. She very literally gave up something that was part of her that she loved for freedom. Like, she she wouldn't be free if she had Beloved li like live with her. And in the same way that, like, if Stamp Paid hadn't been able to just turn his back and leave his wife, he would have never had a chance at freedom either. And so I guess it's more about, like, a, a sacrifice. And yeah, I guess he does, like, show that he has pride about, like, all the people he's helped. But I don't think he'll, he'll ever be, like, a happy person. Like, he... I don't think... It's one of those things that... I think his past is never gonna be able to just be accepted and, like, left. Yeah. And that's kind of, like, a motif for all of these characters, that, like, the past that they've had, it's never gonna be fixed. And I guess that, again, ties back to, like, an allusion to America, that, like, based on the past we've had, like, it's hard to really see that anything is ever gonna be fixed completely. That there's always gonna be, like, some scars left behind just because of the literally hundreds of years of like treatment of people that are now like grandfathered into this country that and like a part of it that you you can't really escape that past yeah i mean the, the happiest god the hat one of the happiest moments in this book is probably also one of the sad the saddest it's um six so mm -hmm. when he manages to get his child his is uh, not necessarily his wife because they're not married, but the thirty mile woman, yeah. uh, who's carrying his child to safety, and he's—they're burning him alive. He's being yeah, lynched. School teacher burns. And him. he's laughing, and he's—he's—he's he's, he's laughing, and he's saying seven zero, and that's one of the most hopeful moments, right? You're—he's hopeful for his son for the next generation, right? Um, but it's you know also just morbid. <laughs> morbid. He's being burned alive. Yeah, the, it's also heartbreaking that. In that line, they say, you know, he was, he just stood there, not screaming, but laughing loudly. And then the narration is the first time they'd ever seen him do so. Like, he's not, he's never been a person who, like, laughed. And then in this moment, he's laughing. Because there is some kind of hope for the generation, like, to just kind of send someone out away from all of this. But... Part of me, again, feels like that's misguided because he's laughing like, oh, uh, you got me, but my son got away free. 
but this is still late 1800s America. There's no guarantee that school teacher won't go looking for the son like he did with Seth. Sure, yeah. There's no guarantee that son doesn't end up in, like, killed or a slave. Exactly, and that, that would be ignoring American history. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's definitely not a novel to come away with anything too positive. It's more something to, like, force you to look at yourself and the, the history of kind of where you are. Huh. Other characters you wanted to talk about? Um, I think... I mean, the the other people at Sweet Home never really get talked about. The other slaves, it's really sad that they kind of just end up as, like, a footnote. Because Paul D. kind of, like, gives Seth the history and says, like, the other Pauls, like, you know, basically everybody went crazy. That, like, if they weren't killed, like, they went crazy. Eventually, like, Seth is captured and... Basically, like... Sixo's killed. A is... Paul A is killed. Um, Paul F is sold, right? Just like Paul D. Yeah. Um, and Hallie goes crazy. and I... Hallie goes crazy because he watches Seth basically be raped. Yeah. And they... Yeah, Paul D says he finds him, like, at a turn with just butter all over him. And even Paul ends up, like, with a bit in his mouth, which is, like, the thing that broke him. And then he ended up, like, on, on a chain gang. Right. And so... There aren't too, too much to say about other the other characters, except that, again, like, they all pretty much ended up broken. That even, like, somebody wise and hopeful, like Baby Shugs, like, she was a slave at Sweet Home until Haley bought her freedom. And then, even after that, she got herself a place, but her last years weren't happy. She was just spent them in bed, like, requesting color be brought to her. She gets She gets some happiness, right, from... From, from from when she has her freedom, um, even though she she knows that her son's not gonna come, even after she accepts that right. accepts that, that that Haley's not coming, um, she still has some happiness, particularly with these people, this community in the clearing, right? But what happens is a school teacher shows up in her yard, mm-hmm. and from then on, whatever happiness she had is just gone. Right. Yeah. She used to do like those sermons in the woods. And even Stamp Page talks about that, that he was so happy to see her again, but that part of him kind of hated her for stopping that. And Stamp Page even mentions, it's really offhanded, but he mentions that he was on, he was at Sweet Home the day that uh, the school teacher came. He was at 124. He saves, he's the one who saves Denver. Yeah. And even though he understood basically what happened to Baby Shugs, and like, at least my way of saying it is that like Baby Shugs. I think a lot of her happiness and her sermons came from the idea of things can be bad, but you can escape the bad and live a new life. And I think that was kind of her whole life philosophy once she got to 124. And seeing that the past is never necessarily completely put away, that it can always come back. Like, there's no reason for her to think that, like, someone all the way from Sweet Home would ride up to Cincinnati just to find Seth. And I think once she realized that, she realized, like, I'm never going to be safe. Like, there's always something that could come. You Even if you think you've got, like, your children and stuff, they can always be taken. And even just something as simple as, like, men showing up on horses can cause you to do things like killing your own baby. And I think a lot of her kind of, like, dies in that scene. And, yeah, I don't know that baby shugs ends up well like she has a brief bit of happiness yeah when she first gets there but after that she kind of just withers away yeah like a lot of the other characters like just like seth does (sighs) i don't know if there's any other characters worth talking about other characters what about um uh like prose style what about writing style um, I thought it was pretty good. Fairly straightforward. Like, I'm a fan of pretty easy, on the mark. That's why I like Hemingway. This was simple. Sometimes the symbolism was a little bit thick, and you had to kind of, like, claw through it to see what exactly was going on. But this was straightforward. Not at all flowery. Like you said, great metaphors. Great, like, literary aspects to it. Like, just the fact that you can, like, look at little individual events and say like this could represent this and these things come I feel like that adds so much depth to this novel I definitely understand why it was like or why Tony Morrison's like Nobel Prize winning yes um 
she's definitely I haven't read anything else from her like uh, Bluest Eye or Solomon or Jazz or anything I've got a few of her novels but never got through them no yeah this is my first Morrison novel uh, yeah you're right nothing too flowery um, so kind of utilitarian I would say and simple mm-hmm. um, but still really beautiful really great metaphors whether it's the the tin the tobacco uh, tobacco tin and and Paldi's chest or the color red or um, yeah, just a, a lot of stuff. One, two, four. You know, the, a lot of the names: Stamp Paid and Here Boy. Yeah. Um. The the cherry tree on on Seth's back. Yeah, yeah, and I think that. No, I totally lost my train of thought. Um, definitely. Good symbolism, metaphor. Nope, completely lost. What I was gonna say. <laughs> um. I I think that a lot of her writing style being so straightforward was just an attempt to kind of give you like a first-hand look. Like what struck me about this was that it's never it was never hard to put yourself into the position of these characters. And that's like what made the novel so hard to get through and like it's 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 challenging emotionally. And you as like, you know, living your normal life in 2017, you can it would take a lot to think like, man, what would it be like to live in the 1870s? But she does it very well. She like very easily connects to things. Like you can, at least I could like really easily see myself in characters. And like a lot of the poignant stuff about like Paul D and his heart, like being a rusted tobacco tin. Like I feel like a lot of that resonated with me and you can like see yourself like everyone has those things and everyone has a moment where their heart could have like gotten a little harder and a little colder because of something that happened and the idea that like something could be locked away based on your past so i think that she she definitely has a skill for like touching on these things and allowing you to see directly through characters eyes and yeah i i would say that this is probably one of the novels where I most quickly like jumped into imagining like characters if that makes sense like there are some novels where it's taking place and you're kind of just reading about characters that do things I felt like immediately with this like by the first chapter you're immersed into it like when she's first describing like Paul D walking up to the house and like the red light and the voices and like what's going on you feel like you're in almost like you're like watching a movie yeah like what is going on here you're confused and like kind of scared it's almost like horror as he goes into the house for the first time and confronts the ghost and all like the surrealness of like the tree on her back and yeah completely agree yeah so it's it's and i think that's why it's so effective is that it can suck you in so quickly and you're not just like within a few seconds you're not just a reader reading a book at a bar or a coffee shop suddenly you are like in this story and you're like visualizing like these people and their pain and what they're thinking and why they're thinking it and their pasts so a plus Tony Morris <laughs> yeah um it's it's hard to think of like criticisms for this book like no no book is perfect and as two white males I feel really conflicted about criticizing a, a black female author Especially one as talented as Tony Morris. Nobel Prize winning, yeah. Nobel Prize winning, yeah. Um, I, I can't think of any criticisms of the book. It's it's very long and it's hard to get through at some point because they're at some points because they're so emotionally challenging. Yeah. But the fact that they're emotionally challenging is such a testament to her writing. Right. And I think that I mean, I could imagine people being turned off by this book because of its like gratuity or because of how morbid it is but i think it's necessarily gratuitous and like necessarily morbid that another book that made me think of when i was reading this that i haven't read in years i read it like the very end of high school was uh night by i think it's eli or eli weissel it's a it's a story about um a holocaust survivor who was in the concentration camps and i got like the same feeling like you read it and you almost kind of get nauseous as you like read certain parts because you put yourself in that place and it's like literally disgusting like the things that happen and it it definitely reminded me a lot of that in this and 
there's definitely a difference between like something being like gross for effect and something being gross because it's true to life and what happened and it's important that you understand things. Exactly. This is the latter. This yeah. is it's it's yeah, it can be gross and morbid, but it's gross and morbid because the subject matter is real. This is this It requires is, it. Yeah. yeah, and it requires it. Because to, like, there's no other way to write about this. Right, to paint slavery in anything in any other light besides, you know, a horrible horrible chapter in history where people like completely suffered that like nothing good came from it you could argue that like we established a country from it but in the end no one was affected like stan paid said like the slaves themselves suffered the white people that enforced it suffered everyone ended up worse for this decision and it's definitely like a hard thing to kind of look at but hard in the way that like maybe you lose a little bit of innocence but it causes you to grow Yes, completely. So not just, like, difficult in, like, this is dumb and doesn't... Like, why are you, like, watching a puppy get beat up or something? Like, you don't need... It's not just for effect. It's... No, this is... It's not needless. It's, exactly. It's important for understanding history of a country. Right. Um, did... I guess this... We pretty much have covered this, but did, did you like this book? Yeah. It's heartbreaking. Um, but, yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I, I would say that I definitely did too. I, this is the second time that I read it. The first time was for a college class. And the first time I was so focused on keeping like uh, an analysis going because I had to write about it. And I'd like formed my thesis like a third of the way through the book and just was like looking for things to support it. And so I guess I didn't really like appreciate it. And then, but this time like having to just read it for pleasure, it's, I feel like I got a lot more out of it. The, the first time I read it, I don't know if I would have said I liked it. I would have just said that I read it. <laughs> but this time I definitely enjoyed it. Like, it's... The writing itself is beautiful, and even if the message that you take away from it is, like, pretty heartbreaking, it's still a worthwhile message. I noticed that, definitely for me, throughout reading, there were, like, quotes and things that stood out, which, it might be shallow, but I feel like that's, like, a good writer to me. When I, like, am reading... And I see a quote, and I'm like, that's a good quote. I'm going to write that down. Like, that makes a good writer to me. And so there are, like, several things that I wrote down as good quotes. I don't know if you write down quotes. Um, one of the first is... I'm trying to think of the situation. It's at Sweet Home when... I think... It's one of the slaves. I don't remember exactly who, but someone steals a pig. And when the school teacher comes... Six oh Six oh yeah. And, he's, and when he's mad... Sixo turns his reasoning on him and kind of says, you know, like, I stole it so that it would make us better workers and, like, fatten us up so we'd have be stronger and we could get more work and done. it would save your crops. And it would save the crops. And the school teacher beats him anyway, and he says, definitions belong to the definer, not the defined. And I, like, that quote really stuck with me. And it's, it's true. It's, it's another way of saying the classic quote from history that history is written by, written by the winners. That you so often don't hear certain sides of the story and that's why we don't hear a lot about slavery is because pretty much the people who were in power the predominantly white population stayed in power and so they would like to just kind of like gloss over it and say you know yeah that was that was in the past you know a little money was made but we ended up freeing people so it's okay rather than like reading graphic accounts of it and so that one definitely stuck out there was a couple more. I felt like mostly Paul D quotes. I felt like, like I said, pretty, like, I saw, I could see myself in that character a lot. And uh, one of them, he said, if a Negro got legs, he ought to use them. Sit down too long, somebody will figure out a way to, to tie them up. And this idea that pretty much throughout the entire story, Paul D is just running. He, like, he's running once he gets to sweet home. Even once he escapes, he's in the chain gang, he runs from there. He finally finds Seth and, like, wants a happy life. And then even he runs from there because of what she did and, like, this huge past. Um, my last one, if I can read in this dim light, is the best thing he knew was to love just a little bit. Everything just a little bit. So when they broke its back or shoved it in, oh, shoved it in a crocker sack... Well, maybe you'd have a little love left over for the next thing. And, Aldi. <laughs> yeah. And I felt like that was 
really, really telling of the characters that like it really paints that picture of Paul D as somebody who once loved but is such like a broken person now that he doesn't trust or love anything anymore just because he can't. Yeah, I think he talks about with that quote the most he can do is is love a tree. Yeah. And I felt like I mean, again, going back to like Morrison is a great writer because like I feel like just hearing those couple of quotes, even if you've never read the book, you instantly know who Paul D is as a person. And with like the repeated metaphor of like the tobacco tin that's his heart, like everyone, even if you've had like a really good life, can see a little bit of that. Like the way that Morrison expresses like pain and regret is extremely accurate and i feel like very easy to see like from any perspective yes yeah paul d for me was yeah a very easy character to identify with to like to root for yeah Uh, do you have any other favorite parts or poignant moments um no i didn't write i didn't write down any quotes um i know there's a lot of ones that really stuck out as as beautiful and well written but yeah yeah, it's like I said. Uh, I I like quotes a lot. Um, I think that's all my notes. Okay. You got anything else, Mark? No. Do we need to talk about wrap it up and talk about our next book? Um. Yeah, you're you're choosing the next book. So <laughs> which one have you picked? I thought about this before I had like gone over these notes and stuff. Um, I did a couple. <laughs> I had a couple criteria in mind. One, I'm gonna get away from the southern, so no Faulkner or anything like that. Um, something a little shorter I thought would be nice and the idea of something happier didn't really hit me so the next one won't be necessarily too happy but it might help us cope I'm thinking uh, Albert Camus uh, The Stranger The Stranger okay so pretty easy I would say probably his best known work if you don't know a quick intro is that Camus was a famous French philosopher specifically existentialism which kind of thinks about like why we exist as a whole and things like that. So The Stranger, I think it might be like 150 pages. It's short, it's French, it's interesting, and we can talk philosophy. Okay. And maybe we'll have a guest. Okay, cool. Cool. Any last minute thoughts then? Um, yeah, check out our social media, right? Facebook, uh, Bookish Things Podcast. Um, same for Instagram, Bookish Things Podcast. We're on Twitter at Bookish Things YT, which stands for YouTube, where we're on the episodes, full episodes are found on YouTube. Um, they're also found on SoundCloud, and they're on iTunes, and they're on Stitcher. And then we also upload the videos in parts, too. And those will be on Facebook, and those will be on YouTube, so you can watch them in short parts if okay. the, the full videos are too long. Um, I think that's, I think that's all I wanted to take care of. Um, yeah, that's it. Oh, we were also, I'm starting a new podcast called The Morgue, and it's a horror genre podcast. The Morgue isn't like the place where dead people go? Yes. So (laughs) it'll be comic books, books, TV shows, movies. Uh, our first episode is going to be on It Follows. I'm going to do it with a friend of ours. So that'll be cool. I won't be there. You won't be there. Too spooky for me. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to stick to reading. So I think that's it. Okay. Bye. Cheers. Bye. <laughs> Hi, Esther.